Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Soft, with your host, Daryl Prail. Join us each week as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Let's get started. Hey, Daryl. And welcome to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. My name is Daryl Prale. I'm with VanillaSoft. I am so pleased to have you guys back. It's been a while. How you feeling? How you doing, folks? I was sitting around thinking about what are some of the topics that we can continue to talk about on the show because we've covered off so much. And I always try to cover topics, as I've shared with you before, that are not not the norm. You know, three ways to optimize your email. Well, you know, it's a, it's a great thing to talk about, but there's a gazillion of those sessions out there. And I got into a conversation with this lad here that I'm going to talk to shortly about the whole challenge of how to navigate a buying process. And it's like alarm bells went off and it was ringing in my ear because I hear this over and over again, not just from you when you guys give me feedback, but I hear it as well from my own internal sales reps. I hear it when I'm on the the various conferences and the show floors. I'm talking to everybody who's in the sales game. One of the things, gone are the days of, I want to talk to the decision maker. That Those days are gone. It's true, right? They are. Or the classic, what's your budget? Or, or when do you want to make a decision by? These are all lines that I've had presented to me before. And if you were to present those lines today, you might get a very interesting reaction. The buying process has changed. It's changed dramatically. So, you know, the challenge with that is, what does that mean for you? When you're trying to navigate the buying process, and perhaps every single one is a wee bit different, different organization, different cultural nuances, like the UK versus Europe versus the US, just different organizational structures, different personalities. Like if you're selling into tech, it's got one vibe. If you're selling into finance, it's got a very different vibe as an example. So the question is for you, how do you navigate a buying process and how do you make it so that it's repeatable and scalable and you can apply it and not only apply it and use it yourself, but as you mature through the ranks and grow in your career, how can you pass that knowledge on to others so that they can learn from you? With that, I'm going to bring my fine guest in here, Mr. Will Frattini. Now, if you don't know Will, he's with Zoom Info and Discover Org. I guess once upon a time, technically, he was with Zoom Info. But recently, of course, you had the merger between Zoom Info and Discover Org. He's with Zoom Info slash Discover Org. He's the director of new business sales. I know this is a passionate topic for him. Will, my friend, welcome to the show. Daryl, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here with you. Ah, uh, you know, they all say that, but you know, I believe you. I really genuinely do. <laughs> we have a we have a storied history together. We do. Will and that's actually relevant because Will actually closed me. He sold me when he was with Zoom Info as VanillaSoft, and we put him through the process. We did a comparison between Zoom Info and Discover Org and a few other options. We did the back and the forth, and we navigated, and we brought in all the various stakeholders, and then we negotiated on a price, and then he got the deal. I know this man knows how to navigate a buying process because I'm like the most annoying person to buy from. And I recently on LinkedIn, I did an article about what happens 
when when people go dark and they start ghosting you and, and how do you respond and it was was pretty funny because i got a huge response to that post and that video on linkedin but part of the thing i got and you can pick this up in the comments was i had a variety of people whom i had been in sales cycles with just like i was with will who said hmm daryl i think you've gone dark on me and by the way you still owe me a call back so i got called out myself that's the fun part of, of buying for both the buyer and the seller is how do you navigate that so will how is this like i know when we were talking like this was just jumped off the page to you this is really a passionate thing for you talk to me about why you're so convicted about this and, and why it just it was the first thing to mind when we chatted so i think we sell into such a new age of buyers that while there's so much training there's so much thought leadership. There's so much precedent around this concept of BANT or a decision maker or what's your budget. At the end of the day, there's a new renaissance of selling that's built based mainly around value and compelling business cases to go and procure funds and, and invest in certain solutions that have an impact on a business's development, growth, success efficiency improvement. I know I don't share this. I know I know I'm not the only person that thinks this way. I know we we share this mindset. I know there's others that are really subscribing to this that are in our sales, it's really important to tie to value and create connection with the people that you're talking to in the initial pieces of a sales cycle so that every step of the way we're empowering them to go make that business case internally, put their neck out on the line and ultimately get the deal done for the sales rep, right? That's kind of where this stems from for me is I've had enough deals now where my team and I never really get to talk to the decision maker and we have to empower somebody to go navigate that kind of scary process internally to go ask for the company's money to and ask for trust and you know make a decision to move forward with an investment and a solution. I mean, this is why this is so important to me. I mean, and I think there's there's a lot of examples of success here and obviously a lot of work in progress, but I'm seeing this happen more and more. So you made an interesting comment just there. It already jumps off the page at me. You talked about empowering the, the individual to fundamentally go represent you, go represent the business case, go represent the value of a Zoom Info Discover Org solution in your case to the decision maker because you don't get to the decision maker often. How often does that happen? And let me ask you this further. How do you respond perhaps to your bosses where they say, well, you know, do we have the decision maker online? Do they have the budget? Yada, yada, yada. So I guess it's twofold. How do you manage internally up and how do you manage with the individual? Because sometimes the, the buyer will represent you well. You know, they genuinely are not lying. They're not misrepresenting. The decision maker will trust the person you're talking to and you can coach them and give them tools and away they go. And other times they're misrepresenting because they want to pretend they have all the power, but the fact of the matter is they don't, or they're not trusted, or they're not respected, or they're not influential enough, or they're not persuasive enough. And you should have been talking to the decision maker and ultimately you lose the deal. So I guess, how do you manage up? And then how do you sniff out that situation to know which way to go with the actual buyer? We've all been caught off guard by that, where we think we have it figured out. And then at the last second, it's like, oh, you know, I couldn't get budget approved or it's not the right time. Call me in a couple of weeks. You know, what I found to be most successful and our best wins, I actually learned this very, very early on before coming to Zoom Info. The best way to qualify an, 
an outcome is to look at historical behavior and asking for the decision maker is just kind of an awkward question. If you think about it, like we're all humans still, right? Like, let me talk to the decision maker is kind of a sideways hit at whoever you're talking to that you're saying, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to somebody else. And that, that puts people up on guard. One of the things that we found to be most successful is to dig in on how the company you're working with has done what you're trying to do now in the past. So it could be, how does your company evaluate data providers? Or how does your company evaluate sales engagement and sales enablement and sales empowerment solutions? Frankly, the last time you bought something to improve the efficiency of your X, who was involved and who had to ultimately give their stamp of approval on it? Getting that information out in the very first call is a appropriate, necessary, professional, and important thing to do. That starts to flush out. Well, you know, the last time we did this, I evaluated it. And once I felt like it was worthwhile, I brought it to my boss. And then she said, this is something that we should think about. But she needed to go talk to the finance team to make sure she could spend money before we go farther. People start to share that with you if you're if you're comfortable asking that earlier. If you wait until the finish line and you're trying to fumble a deal over the finish line and you're negotiating and people are asking for a 50% discount, you probably just missed how that process went. And it's uncomfortable for the person that you're selling to now because they also don't know how to get it done either. And they're trying to figure it out, but they don't want to admit that to you, right? It's really, really important to, to dig in on what's happened before so that you can start to collect that kind of path to success really from the beginning and get mutual buy-in from whomever you're working with now that you're going to go try to sell this together to the right people. It's so interesting you bring that up because on one of our more recent episodes, we talked about having continual alignment, always checking in with you know the various stakeholders to make sure not just at the start that you ask the qualifying questions, but that you continue to ask the questions throughout the process because sometimes priorities change. Sometimes new players enter the, the process that you're oblivious to and they have influence yep. that you're unaware of. And all of a sudden there, there's a whole different value prop you have to speak to and you get blindsided. And one of the questions we talked about was, well, how do you identify who the stakeholders are? And I use the example, which is not unlike your example, but yours is a little different. So the example I use was right up front, you say, okay, so for a solution like this, who are all the stakeholders that have a vested interest? Because when I, I ultimately decide that I'm going to put forth a proposal, I want to make sure I understand each of their perspectives. So for example, if there's a finance guy involved versus an IT guy involved versus an HR woman involved, for example, they all come from a different point of view, view value differently. They have different needs and requirements, different uh, features. And if I know that up front, I can help you navigate that internally by giving you the tools you need to speak to those issues. And I can make sure that their needs are represented in the proposal so that your chances of getting this, because I'm assuming you're my champion, are dramatically better. Your process is easier. But really, the reason I'm doing that, of course, is, is to find out who are the stakeholders. You asked the question a little differently. You know, when you made a decision like this last time that you made a purchase, who was involved in the sales company? Or how does your company evaluate data enrichment solutions? Similar question. Yours is even, in some regards, broader because you're not just talking about the people, you're talking about the process as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, like our biggest competitor is, I think it's Doug Landis that says this, our biggest competitor is a no decision. At the end of the day, our job is to figure out 
what is the labyrinth of closing a deal internally? Because no matter how well-intended the people are, it just might be the wrong time or they might be trying to knock on the wrong door themselves, right? That's something that I think sales folks take for granted is we assume that if we're having a, quote, buying discussion with somebody that they know how to buy stuff themselves. I think that's a really, really underrated thing that people people assume that people know how to go do the thing themselves, let alone if they're bought in on it. You know, you could still have the HR director, the VP of finance and the IT manager all bought in on doing something, but maybe they've never made a purchase themselves internally because they were all just hired in the last six months because the company's growing so fast. And I think that also, that could tie too, right? To like, even a CEO <laughs> might still have to go talk to three or four other people in his or her network before he even stamps off on something or before she says, yeah, this is a good idea. Because not all CEOs are going to say, yeah, you know what? I hired you for this job. I trust you. Go get it done yourself. I'll support your decisions because that's why I want you here. Right? It's, it's all different varying levels of trust internally that people have to navigate. You talk about levels of trust they have to navigate. I mean, and the CEO is a brilliant example. What many people forget is that the CEO often, you know, they may have one or two people internally that they trust, but often what they have is they have a collection of external advisors or peers that they almost trust more, they feel safer with, they can be vulnerable, they can be transparent with. That could be a board of advisors, it could be a board of directors, but often it is fellow CEOs they know from, you know, networking groups or what, or what have you. And they will consult with them, hey, we're looking at making a decision is vanilla soft for a sales engagement platform. You guys made this process recently. Who did you pick? How's that going? Any advice? Or we're looking at vanilla soft. Have you heard of them? You know, what do you think of these guys? You know, my guys are telling me this. Is that what you've experienced? And they're looking for somebody who has basically no skin in the game because they don't. Whereas your champion clearly is has got some skin in the game. Part of that says you have to preempt that. And many people are good at doing that, which is saying, I'm going to get my CEO talking to their CEO. I'm going to get my board members talking to their board members so we can kind of you know understand who are all the influencers, how do they define value, and how do we make sure that there's no obstacles. And all that is truly about navigating the buying process. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're going to carry on the, the discussion around how to navigate a buying process. Don't go anywhere. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time, make less than two attempts to contact them, and are only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is a sales engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more. Blow your quota out of the water. How? By ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds, persistently, and with the cadence that is optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. Okay, so we're back. You know, so you asked that question, you know, how does your company evaluate ABC solutions? Or how, do, you know, when you make a decision, you did last time, who was involved in the sales cycle? How do you vet? How do you validate the answer you get? Because that's all part of navigating the process. Oh, no, it's just me. I make it. Oh, yeah, I make it with uh, George, the IT guy. That's it. We get full authority. Don't, you don't talk to anybody else. 
How do you, what tactics do you use to make sure that what they're saying is truly factual? Because you're saying, you started off the whole conversation by saying it's changed. You're not necessarily going to say, I want to talk to the decision maker. It's not as direct anymore. Such a good question. It's our job as the experts in our solution to really act like the experts. When someone says it's just me, we have to be comfortable with a little bit of being uncomfortable and saying, okay, so let's map out what it's going to be like when you have to go get this approved. You might be the one that's making the decision, but then what has to go happen? And if they're literally like, I can buy myself, I don't have to talk to legal, I don't have to talk to procurement, we don't have to do any of that stuff. All right, cool. What's stopping you from moving forward today when you find the right solution? And holding them accountable to what they just said. Sometimes that's literally the case. We have some of our best sales folks here, one call closed $50,000, $100,000 deals when that happens. And that's because they're confident saying, if you're really the person that gets to go make this decision, let's make a decision. What more do we need to do? More often than not, the former will happen though, where they'll say, well, you know, I'll have to go get it approved by finance, even though they usually trust me or... I'll have to go probably talk to legal quickly, but it shouldn't be too complicated of a process. And that's where you get back to that mutual alignment of, all right, let's map that play out. Let's telegraph that play together. I'm here to help you go sell it. You know, I'm not trying to trap you into going around you and talking to a quote decision maker. I want to help you be empowered to go sell this, carry the ball over the goal line, if you will, without needing to have me in the room. And sometimes I use a little humor and say, I know you're not going to let me talk to your CFO. I know your CEO is not going to make time to talk to a salesperson. So let's get ahead of that together. They hired you because they trusted in you. They hired you because you have a specific set of skills. They hire you because they know you're going to take them to the next level. So let's talk about how you go finish that, get it over the finish line together. And usually that turns into a nice, comfortable conversation. There are fewer still scenarios, though, where people aren't really ready to go on a buying journey with you. And they'll still be reticent to give any further detail. They might just not know and they don't want to admit it. And that's when we as sales folks have to take our foot off the gas, take a step back and start to walk away from that opportunity and let the prospect start to sell us on saying, no, 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 this is real. I I know what I need to go do. I just have some other things that have to happen first. And then we can get to those kind of gotchas ahead of time. It's, It's all about discovering, discovering, discovering. So you said you as a a sales rep, there are times when you need to walk away and let them start selling you. That's huge. Oh, yeah. And I want to explore that because that takes some cojones. And everybody, you know, they see the deal and they know the quota they've got and they might get a little, I want to say desperate. Let's call it anxious because they, you know, they don't want to lose the fish who's nibbling on the bait. Talk to me about your approach, what you've seen work to set that up, to come across as if you're walking away and encourage them to start selling in you. How does that work? I think you nailed it. I mean, the beauty of prospecting in a rich area is, you know, there's a lot of opportunity as long as you're patient enough. You know, we've actually been using this example here lately. You know, there's a, an annual shark fishing contest down in Oak Bluffs and Martha's Vineyard every year. And lo and behold, fishermen always catch sharks. And it's not because they try to go to a new place every single time and hope that they're going to find a shark there. They know exactly where the pods are. They know exactly where they've gone every single year. They have skill. They definitely have finesse. They definitely have technique that not everybody has. 
but they're not spending their time in the wrong place. And so we as sales folks need to remember what is our core ideal persona of person that should be purchasing our services or seeing value in what we offer. What's the core type of company that's going to benefit from what we offer and not try to fight that philosophically and just stay true in those areas. And if you have someone that is cuspy, uh, that doesn't fit that core profile and you're trying to sell them, even if they're interested, you have to be really wary of that. And you have to get to a no as quickly as possible so that you can start to walk away and let them take ownership of saying, yes, this is a new behavior for us, but this is a real thing. We're going to buy you or we're going to buy something else. Getting them to admit that they're going to make a decision on something will help you start to flush out if they're actually real. And they'll tell you that if you start to kind of put your guard up a little bit, if they don't look exactly like all of your customers look. So you've said a couple things that are really kind of cool I want to drill down on. You said get to a no as soon as possible. Now we know that. That's not new. Few of us do it, which by the way, <laughs> if you're not doing it, guys, I, I, I know it's just dumb, all right? Because the reason is if you get to the no, you, then you go on to the next prospect. You're not wasting time. And I'll use Will's example. If you're fishing in a, in a body of water and no one's biting, move yeah. it's, it's getting to a no no one's taking my my bait i'm not going to stay here and keep hoping it changes and keep throwing my line in the water move on to the next location because that they might be biting there so it's all about time and opportunity if you spend too much time chasing the nose then you've lost the opportunity in the other areas what's really cool about what you're saying here is in the process of pushing to a no and not being afraid to do that so what i'm hearing you say is that you want it but right now you're probably just not ready for it so why don't i circle mm -hmm. back in say three months time yeah. And then they're going to say, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then the magic just happened there. You almost threatened to walk away and they're going to then flip roles instead of you chasing them, they're chasing you. Is that really kind of what I'm hearing you say to a degree? I'm like an analogy nerd. So like another one, right? So you walk into a department store to buy a suit, you probably have a salesperson that'll work with you, but like, they're not going to custom tailor you a suit, but they'll be with you. And they know you're, you may or may not buy without them making much of a difference. You walk into a custom clothier, you know, whether it's a dressmaker or a suit tailor, and you come in and the first thing you ask about is price. That tailor or that dressmaker is going to say, there's the clearance rack. I have to get back to what I was working on. Please let me know if you need my help. That's such a beautiful analogy, in my opinion, of how sales folks that are masters at their craft, that believe in their value, can navigate people that aren't totally committed to making a decision. But what happens if you're at a, a dressmaker's shop and you've asked what the price of the dress was and the person that runs the store says, oh, there's the clearance rack. If you're serious about buying a dress, you're going to say, no, no, my wedding's in a couple months. I have to pick a dress today. And I've heard really good things about this store. Now you're the best friend of the owner of the shop and they're going to give you everything that you want and break out champagne and be with you the whole step of the way. And you're probably going to buy something while you're there. The other thing to look at too, like use the fishing example, you can't come to the end of that shark fishing contest either with a striper or even a tuna and say, <laughs> hey, but I caught a big tuna. I think this one's going to be good, right? This might be better than the shark. Well, the judges are going to be like, no way, right? It's a shark fishing contest. Now in sales, we don't have judges. We have managers and directors that coach us through pipeline. But sometimes the tuna looks like a shark at the highest level until you show up at the weighing station. Right. So we as sales folks have to be taking ownership of, you know what, this isn't a shark. You know, I'd rather go catch a little shark than catch a really big tuna in a shark fishing contest.
And again, forgive the analogies. I'm a total nerd about this stuff. Your storytelling and that storytelling is a huge sales skill. You know, you should go in sales, Will. Have you given this consideration? <laughs> you know, I'm guilty of wanting that tuna to be a shark because I know I couldn't land the shark. This is shark-like. Isn't it good enough? And of course, it's not. Yep. Uh, one last question. We talk about navigating that buying process and you ask the right questions. You know, have you made these decisions? You know, who's been involved? And they say this, you know, the CFO. What's your thought about you picking up the phone and calling the CFO and saying, so I was talking to Sally and she says you're involved in this process. I just wanted to hear your take on what it is you're looking for. Good? Bad? It's uh, it's like any good card in a, in a good game of poker. It's only useful at certain hands. You don't always need to play it. If you play it, sometimes it'll burn you. I've had success with it, frankly, where I have a champion who's just trying so hard to get the deal done and not getting the progress that they want trying to negotiate with me and they're telling me everything I should want to hear. Like, we're going to get this done. We're going to get this signed. I just need a 30% discount or I just need, you know, for us, you know, I need 10 users for the price of five. And it's just like, it doesn't make much sense. And I've asked all my questions and I've said, what happens when you go to sell this? And I haven't gotten the answers that I know I should hear. I've done it before where I send a nice thoughtful email or I pick up the phone and call and I say, look, you've got some fantastic people on your team credit to you. I've been working with John for a while. He's great. You clearly have invested in people that want to see the success of your company. Here's what they're telling me. I am curious to know, though, it seems like there's some disconnect. Can we get on a quick call to get aligned? I I think I can absolutely help based on what I've learned from John, but it sounds like there's some extra reticence here. or There's some additional stuff that I might be able to help dig in on with you if you and I talk. More often than not, that C-suite, that VP, will be aware of the fact that all this has been happening at a very, very high level. And if they're serious about actually empowering the teams that your solution should support, they'll oblige. They'll either refer you to the person who actually is at a VP level or director level that can go make that decision that the CEO trusts, or they'll get on the phone with you. And if they don't do that, then you know you were chasing a tuna the whole time and you didn't even realize it. Again, it's a card you can't play all the time, right? If you go do it, you will offend some people. So you have to use your judgment and you have to do it and mess up and learn from when you messed up. But it's absolutely a valuable skill set for the most talented sales folks out there. So as you navigate the buying process lessons today, you want to fish for the shark and not for the tuna and know the difference. That wisdom is from Will Frittini, Director of New Business Sales with Zoom Info and Discover Org. Guys and gals, if you're not using this product, by the way, you're missing out on a huge opportunity. We love it. It's made a dramatic difference in our success. I strongly encourage you to check it out. Will, if they want to follow you, get along with you, reach out to you, what's the best way to connect? I'm on LinkedIn. love communicating with people there. You can reach out to me on my email, will.fertini at zoominfo.com. All right. So with that, thank you, sir, for your time today. I'm grateful. I hope you guys learned something new about how to navigate a buying process. He has a ton of opening lines and tactics. And if you listen to those wonderful nuggets in there, you too can hook yourself a shark. My name is Daryl Prail. I'm with Vanilla Soft. I had fun today. I hope you did too. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Daryl Prail, the CMO of Vanilla Soft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by Vanilla Soft. <laughs>